Hi, this is the One Moment Longer podcast. I'm Scott Tindall. Any questions? Welcome to One Moment Longer, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was a fantastic conversation with Scott Tindall. Listen to the end. There's so much in this one, so many great takeaways. I think you're going to truly enjoy this one. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I'm joined by a world-leading nutrition coach. He has over 20 years of experience in professional sports, working as a top-notch nutrition coach for both elite triathletes and high-performing executives. He is the co-founder of Fuelin, an app-based personalized nutrition coaching program, and he's been an expert advisor to companies, helping them develop state-of-the-art nutrition products and optimize health and performance. As a member of the Performance Nutrition Advisory Board at Ironman, he continues to make an impact in the world of sports nutrition. He's worked with professional sports teams such as the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is NHL hockey, uh, America's Cup, which is Team Oracle USA, the England Lions cricket team, and professional rugby teams. With a solid educational background that includes a postgraduate diploma in sports and exercise nutrition, a master in science in sports and exercise medicine, and a bachelor of applied science in physiotherapy. And he just brings so much credibility and expertise to everything he does. It's an honor and privilege to have him join me. So welcome and thanks for joining me on the One Moment Longer podcast, Scott Tindall. How are you, mate? I am very well, Greg, and uh, thank you for that in- Thank you for that introduction. That's probably the nicest introduction I've ever heard. So. <laughs> well, mate, uh, I just, I was like, when I was sort of thinking about it, I'm like, my goodness, this guy's been busy. What's it like getting that read it back to you? It's kind of, you haven't stopped. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's always nice to reflect, isn't it? Take a, take a moment and sort of reflect on what you have managed to achieve in your life. And uh, it is it is very flattering to hear you say those sorts of things. Uh, I won't go any go on any more than that. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it's nice to hear all the things you've sort of achieved. And well, congrats, mate. Congrats on everything. It's been a lot of hard work, I'm sure. Yeah. Where, where, are, you, where are you at the moment? Where are you calling from? Uh, I am in Sydney, uh, Fairlight near Manly, in Australia, so Northern Beaches. My hometown. I grew up in, in Mossman and then Manly. Yeah, I love it. I, living overseas for, you know, better part of 20 years, I always said, right, lived in the Northern Hemisphere. When I get back to Australia, got to live near the beach. You know what? I'm going to live in the Northern Beaches, and that's exactly what I did. As soon as I got back, I lived in Manly. Then I lived in Freshie. Yeah. Pa- pandemic hit. I couldn't afford to buy in Freshie, so actually, weirdly enough, had to settle for Fairlight and that wasn't a bad uh, compromise. No, it's such a great part of the world. I'm looking forward to getting back there in a couple of months. It's been probably five years, but honestly, Manly Beach and that whole area is to some degree where I learned my craft as an athlete, um, swimming in and out of that surf and the breaks there with all, with all the athletes like Guy Leach and um, we, we had a really good squad of us down there. It's just such a beautiful part of the world. So um yeah, Ben, it's early there, right? What time is it for you? Uh, it's, well, it's 6.30 now, but I was up. We were having a laugh before this about getting up at uh, quarter to six and then you told me your sleep pattern and uh, what you do in the mornings and uh, you made me sort of shut up. So I, I'm not I'm feeling sorry for myself anymore. No. So. To add to that, you're also somebody that's very productive at night. And so 
I, I'm just a more productive person in the morning and I'm useless at night. So, you know, I can imagine you've stayed up a bit later and then forced yourself to get up for this podcast. And I'm incredibly grateful for your time. Um, and I'm sure you'll warm up. We'll wake up as we get going here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate it, mate. And recently you joined us on um, the Any Question platform, which has been a tremendous uh, get for the platform and you're in the nutrition channel. Um you know, what have been your thoughts using the app so far? Yeah, I, well, firstly, I, I think it's a really great idea uh, what you have put together with that and, and your business partner. I think, you know, opening up experts in that easy to digest and excuse the pun, um, you know, format of quick, short videos talking, not, not just about, you know, about thought processes as much as anything. So it's like Twitter. Mm. I, I guess, and you know, if I can use that sort of analogy, it's like video Twitter in mm. that sense. And you can really get a good sense of what an individual and an individual that either is an, an excellent athlete or um, an excellent clinician, you can get their, their viewpoint very, very quickly. So I think it's very unique in that sense. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I just need to get better at recording more videos. So. Well, we'll have plenty. We'll have plenty of questions after this show and I'll have to put you on yeah. our brand team. Um, <laughs> video Twitter is what we can describe ourselves. But you've been busy also building your building your own platform, Fuel In. How do you, you like yeah. to say it? Fuel In? Uh, there's no G uh, at the end. Just Fuel In. Fuel yeah. In. Yeah, yeah, Fuel In. Um, you know, that, that's been, you launched that, what, early last year? Yeah, it went iOS up um, in September, October last year. Yeah. Um, and... Oh, sorry, the year before, actually, 2021. God, we're in. Oh, 2021, yeah. was it? Yeah, yeah 21, yeah. 21, yeah. so time flies. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the way we look at it or, uh, you know, when you talk about things, we refer to it as the world's first training-based nutrition app. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we say that is because it's the first nutrition app that actually it syncs with the coach's training plan. So whether you're on Training Peaks today's plan, mm. Final Surge, mm. what we do is use API to sync directly with that coach's training program. So now your nutrition program is actually reflective of the work you're actually doing, wow. which is very unique in that, you know, usually, you know, whether an athlete sees a dietitian or a nutritionist, they'll be given a PDF, generally speaking, mm-hmm. with sort of rules or guidelines as to what to eat and maybe how much to eat and types and things like that. But, you know, it might say on a Monday night, eat some chicken or something like that. Yeah. But what if you, what if you've got a, uh, you know, a five hour brick the next day, you're not going to be eating the chicken. You're probably going to be, well, depending on your nutritional philosophy, you might be loading up on carbohydrates in order to practice a carbohydrate load and get yourself ready. And so as soon as that PDF becomes sort of, you know, once it goes out the window because training has changed, then the athlete tends to get lost. Whereas with Fuel In, what we're doing is providing, you know, a very simple traffic light system with each of the individual macros within every meal Mm. based around the work that they're doing. Um, And it's, you know, from what we're seeing with athletes, I think there's over 600 um, monthly subscribers now. Wow. uh, from, From pro athletes to... Uh, age group athletes and, and weekend warriors, but you know the feedback we're getting is it's uh, it's a very unique and, and and very powerful system. So we're really proud of it, and it continues to grow on a on a monthly basis. And you know who knows <laughs> who knows where it will go. Yeah, but that's huge, mate. And does it update then? You know, when you update your training, like you missed a few days training, or you you know 
you're working with your coach and your program's been updating and changing. Does it work in real time with the changes as well? Yeah, so uh, you yeah. can you can either you can actually update training peaks in today's plan from within fuel in now. Oh. Uh, so say say you sleep in, say so like you know I was meant to do a swim session this morning. Thank God, don't have to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, mate. I'll, have, I'll have to do it this afternoon. So I'll just go into fuel in. I'll tap on it, edit session, move it to one thirty this afternoon. I'll hit rerun my plan. It will rerun the exact nutrition program for today and then it will adjust it potentially based on tomorrow um, especially if you've removed mm. uh, training volume and stuff like that so it's very unique in that sense uh, very cool are you working with outside of triathlon any other athletes richard thompson who uh, just oh. won ultraman worlds yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, in kona as well and he's going for you know you talk about crazy things but he's doing this sub 20 challenge which is uh what double- is that it's double Ironman back to back in under twenty hours. Oh, yeah! I mean, that was where's my he reaction. doing that? Where's he doing? When he's, it's up in um, Oxford in Cairns. Is it you finish the marathon and then have to jump back in the water? No, so it's all you know with Ultraman how it's a little bit different. They yeah. do it over a number of days. They do have breaks in between, so it's not like you know continuous you know back to back a double Ironman sort of in that sense. But I, I mean, want to the, see him finish the, the marathon and run straight into the water. <laughs> yeah, that would be impressive. But I mean, he he is just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and it's crazy, isn't it? He's an Australian world champion. Talk about his training and what he does and what he's been through. You know, also professionally, but also personally and all that sort of stuff. Like it's it's incredible story. Yeah, that's probably I'm I'm very focused on the endurance mm-hmm. world at this point in time and and working with triathletes. So I mean, other other pros, but probably. Not quite as well known, but uh, Rachel Zelinskis. Mm-hmm. She's a ex um, a USA swimmer who actually has gone pro in triathlon. Unfortunately, like, and again, I don't know where this conversation will go, but there seems to be a, a fairly high level of bone injuries at the moment in uh, triathletes, I think, and, uh, you know, Mm. Uh, in terms of probably low energy availability and things like that. Obviously, her background was swimming, so bone mineral density could have been compromised. But um, I've certainly seen a lot of stress fractures recently, not just professionals but age groupers. Do you think it's the carbon shoes that they're all jumping into? or I mean, No, I think it's low energy availability. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Like, they're all they're all going the, the the high fat diets. You mean low carb and, and running out of energy? Would you, you go that far? Yeah, uh, I'm not necessarily. I'm not going to blame high fat, low carb. But I mean, certainly when you look at the research as well, carbohydrates. We were talking about this the other day. I mean, just eating carbohydrates post session can have a positive effect on bone mineral markers mm. in terms of improving bone formation and reducing bone catabolism. Mm. So you imagine if you're on a very high fat diet, low carb, not eating any carbs post training session, or you know people who are subscribing to fasted a lot of mm. this long duration fasted training, you know over time and even in the acute phases, it could be detrimental to their bone health. Hmm. So, you know, again, it's it's like there's – it's probably low energy availability as the crux of it underlying all these issues. Um, and then you throw on top sort of these different nutritional strategies that I think just is amplifying this effect. So, yeah, we, we're seeing – 
you know, we, we tend to get DEXA scans or we recommend DEXA scans for all athletes who join the program. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's to check bone, uh, bone mineral density along with body composition. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we tend to see is, you know, definitely lower than expected values on the T-score, um, which is, you know, a, a score of l- less than minus one is certainly pushing towards osteopenia and then less than minus, I think it's 2.2, is is getting into osteoporosis. And I've seen levels of, you know, minus two fairly frequently. Wow. In athletes, in spine or in left hip. And it is it is a real concern. It's amazing when you when you talk about I mean, you mentioned the swimmer. I, I always, you know, for the longest time, you know, the 30 years I was actually in the sport a lot of these athletes would come from swimming backgrounds and the swimmers, what I found is they had the biggest heart and lungs, but their their body couldn't keep up with the heart and lungs when it came to the running. And the amount yeah. of times I saw swimmers breaking down quite often just because the chassis couldn't keep up with the engine. You know, they developed yeah. this monster engine. It just took a long, long time for the body to catch up. But now you're talking about, okay, there's that, plus the way that people are fueling, it's like a double whammy. Mm. It's funny that, isn't it? Because like, you know, that non-weight bearing to weight bearing. And so the bike isn't such an issue either because it's technically non-weight bearing Mm. in that sense. So they can get through the swim, they can get through the bike. But then as you say, and if you've been swimming your whole career, your bone mineral density is probably compromised. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and then they're, they're trying to do a, you know, running, trying to get their volume up. They probably do pretty well in the sprints and the Olympics, and then they decide to go to the seventy point three or full distance. Suddenly, it's a lot more volume, a mm. lot more load on the body, and as you say, they break down. And, mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, Rachel and I have started working together. I think she's she's a fantastic human being, and I think that's awesome. From all reports, um, you know, a fantastic athlete and some real potential. So, I think if we can get her as healthy as possible. Um, I think you'll see her name come up in lights um, oh, over the, the next period of time. Young young girl, Lottie Lucas, she's based in Dubai. She'll hopefully, you know, crack into the top. She's a said top 50 for PTO, but probably get into the top 20, I think. She has got she came third in the Philippines on the weekend. Um, so, yeah. Good man. I love that you're invested in all these people and I think it's, you know, they're lucky to have you. Quick mini break to tell you about Any Question, the place where you can go ask world-leading experts questions, and it's all free. We have over a 1,000 experts across 30 different channels, and Scott Tyndall is there. You can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Scott Tyndall and ask him follow-up questions after this podcast, and he'd be more than happy to answer them for you. So go check it out, anyquestion.com forward slash Scott Tyndall. Let's do this. I I want to rewind the clock and understand you and who you are a little bit and your journey and finding your passion for performance nutrition and, and, and medicine and, and everything else that you've been involved in, you know, physiotherapy. You know, when did all of this, when did your enthusiasm for sport and performance all start? Yeah, I guess, I mean, my background, I played rugby actually. So yeah. uh, I, got, I got sent away to boarding school for my sins probably. I lived in the country down near uh, Holbrook, uh, near Albury, Wodonga. That's yeah. where I grew up. 
So I guess I played rugby a lot and then got injured a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I ended up in the physio table quite a lot. And, uh, you know, I had, I had knee reconstructions, uh-huh. I had ankle reconstructions, I've had all sorts of things. So yeah. I guess that sort of, um, you know, stoked the fire for physio. So I, you know, got a, a decent mark in the HSC and did, did physio, loved it. And then I had an English girlfriend and decided, yeah, I busted my knee and thought, oh, done my ACL rehab, played a bit more rugby, wasn't going where I wanted to and headed over to England. And that sort of started a cascade of, I guess, working in England in private sector, private hospital there. And then they thankfully, uh, very gratefully paid for my master's uh, in sports exercise medicine at the University of London. So I did, uh, I did my master's there and sort of got through it, accelerated, actually enjoyed it because I think I wanted to do it. So I got through that in a year and a half and graduated with distinction, which was uh, surprising for me. And uh, (laughs) that sort of led then Open Doors and Pat Howard, who's an Aussie, um, a very good rugby player, former Wallaby. He was coaching Leicester Tigers at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow, as as you mentioned, uh, everyone knows everyone. Uh, He got wind that I'd finished a degree and was looking for a job. And so he invited me to come up to Leicester, uh, which is in the Midlands of England, and uh, interviewed me and they offered me the job with the first team. So next next thing I was, uh, you know, living in the middle of England, working with, at the time, um, you know, they were English champions and yeah. uh, Euro- European Cup champions. You know, we had uh, Martin Johnson, Martin Corrie, Lewis Moody, Martin Castro Giovanni, Jordan Murphy, you know, uh, Alessana Tuolangi, the whole team from... The whole English team. <laughs> from 1 to 22. So even the seven reserves were all international players. Wow. So it was just this, you know, Harlem Globetrotter sort of team <laughs> of just amazing rugby players that, yeah. you know, were sort of my age group as well or a little bit older. But, you know, you had this amazing rapport with them. It was when rugby was still... Yeah, really, say, still really crushing it. Fun, yeah, and yeah, good. <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, a lot of injuries. So you know, you got very good at your craft in terms of rehabilitating and looking after athletes. And you know, those athletes, even that was back in two thousand and six. I'm, I'm still, you know, Lewis Moody is still. I would say one of my great friends, you know, we spent probably because we always laugh of the three years I was there, he was probably he's out on, for a year and a half. He's on your table the whole time. Oh yeah. I mean, he had, <laughs> he had a, he had hip surgery, he had an Achilles rupture, he had bilateral shoulder reconstructions. He, yeah, you name it, he had it. And, yeah. uh, which was probably testament to the way he played rugby. But, um, yeah, it, it certainly accelerated, you know, the way in which you approach sports medicine, I think. And mm. and then to just on that, we had, I remember at the time, uh, Matt Lovell was a performance nutrition coach who was working with Clive Woodward with the England team when they actually won the World Cup in 2003 in Australia. And he spiked my interest for nutrition because we had some nutrition modules in my master's, which were fascinating. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I can see the link between nutrition and how you could get better results in terms of physiotherapy and sports medicine. And hmm. he was working with the Tigers and he was doing sort of pretty weird stuff. I, I think I look back at it now and it maybe wasn't all completely science-based, but he certainly had some 
interesting philosophies and got the athletes to buy into it, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I think was as much anything, you know, when you get an athlete to buy into a program. It's amazing. It can, it's amazing. Like the, it doesn't have to be the best program. The brain is absolutely incredible of what it mm. can do if you can get people to buy in. I mean, have you got any examples you can share that are a little oh, bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was steak for breakfast. Yeah, Like okay. literally it was, <clears throat> you know, because his philosophy was high protein. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the boys were eating, you know, steak for breakfast, steak for lunch, chicken, whole chickens, like you name it. They were carnival eating. before carnival was trendy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the crazy thing was I look back at it now, they just didn't eat that much carbs which was very interesting, but they probably were inadvertently like, you know, they did eat a lot of mashed potato. They did eat, but they weren't smashing um, like traditional carbs. If you think about like pasta and stuff like that. Mm. So he was very much in sort of like a, yeah, a carnivore paleo Mm -hmm. high root vegetable type Mm -hmm. carbohydrate type feeding plan. But the guys loved it. I mean, they're all, enormous human beings so they just ate and ate and ate and had no worries and it was all i mean i'll put it this way when i was you get this like megarexia sort of um like thought process when you work with these guys yeah so like i'd I'd been living in leicester with them and you know you're just around these guys are huge so you tend to eat heaps you lift heaps of weights I think at the time when I was physioing there, I was like 96 kilos. I just got like very big. I went down to London and my mates were like, what has happened to you? Like you can't lift your arms above your head. And I'm like, oh, no. That's about 210 pounds, I think, 215 pounds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And like I'm not that – I'm like 183 centimetres, so six foot. So like it was big for me. And, you know, you go full circle now. I'm working with triathletes and I'm, oh, man, I'm now 70. I'm just under 79 kilos. Like, <laughs> you know, I've lost, you know, you nearly 20 kilos. You? you fluctuate. The difference yeah. is like as a physio, when you work in team environments, you saw these extraordinary results in terms of accelerated rehab. Mm-hmm. And you think you're a good physio. What you don't realize is the strength and conditioning team, the dietitian or nutritionist that's there, mm-hmm. the coach, everyone that's having that input is actually that's what's making the athlete return mm-hmm. at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. And so you then, you know, I left Leicester, I went down to London, well, so I set, I set up a, a group of sports medicine practices in London, and I was like, why aren't my results as good as what was happening in Leicester? Interesting, yeah, and yeah. then it dawns on you, well, they're not getting the strength input firstly. So like, you know, physio, classic physio, um, you know, physios just generally don't, aren't very good at prescribing true strength mm-hmm. for an athlete. So then I started building, you know, the network around me for strength and conditioners to, for athletes who are injured to go and work with them at the same time. But then it was like, well, if you're not eating the appropriate amount of fuel, then your injury is never going to recover. Because mm-hmm. if you're not taking in the appropriate amounts of protein, the appropriate amounts of fat for calories, the appropriate amounts of carbohydrates, again, for total calories and energy, then you're not going to get that muscular hypertrophy. You're certainly not going to develop true strength and so on and, and recover at the rate at which you would if you're surrounded by that team. So I think that was a bit of an aha moment for me. And that then pushed me into you know the further study with with nutrition and looking down that route and then... Obviously, doing that postgraduate study was amazing, and I thought, oh, wow, this is way more interesting than physio. Mm. So I started getting really sort of 
uh, involved in that, and that then opened the door for the job with Oracle Team USA. Yeah, that was amazing. Tell me about that. How did that all come about? Somebody reach out to you, or was it an applied job? Yeah, a guy called Craig McFarlane, who uh, oh. affectionately known as Oscar, he um, he actually used to work at Saracens Rugby, and so I knew mm-hmm. him through just you know opposition, I guess, and having a bit of chit chat, being a Kiwi, and me being an Aussie, we'd always had yeah. a good chat. Um, and then he worked in the the one where they beat the Kiwis in San Francisco. Right. So I was meant to work at that cup, but I couldn't get registered as a physio in America because it's a nightmare. Yeah. And so they did that cup, they won, and then he, as soon as they won, he rang me and he said, "Mate, next one's in Bermuda. I think I think you're um, you're going to be all right for that because it's a, an English colony. It's a British colony." So he then called me and he said, like, would you do it? And I was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, that would be amazing. So he said, you know, do you want to be head of sports medicine? And I was like, wow, that's that's incredible. And was so, that the team with Kai Hurst on? Was he yeah, on? Hurst, yeah. He was, yeah, you know Kai. Yeah, so yeah, Kai's Kai, been on the Kai show Kevin and he's a good mate of mine. Yeah, yeah. Mate, that's why he's one yeah, of the legend, legend of a bloke. Yeah, I mean, you is. talk about an engine. Oh, oh my I think God. the greatest waterman in the world. Uh, just, oh, my God. Just unbelievable. It's lung capacity. It's huge. I mean, you, again, I could digress here. Like I remember we used to do swim sessions in the pool. We'd do them um, every, I think it was every Tuesday or Wednesday. And he'd literally have a kickboard and be just cruising down the pool. And there's like a wake in his back, like behind his feet. You could literally surf off it. Yeah, listen to I his mean, show. It, listen to his episode and, and he tells all these stories. He talks about you guys on the show and the America's Cup and how he had you all in the pool and, um, and for anybody listening to this, please go back and listen to Kai Hurst. He really is one of the greatest watermen, I think, in the entire world. And what he can do from three different sports, from surf Ironman to swimming at the Olympics in the 10K to America's Cup as a grinder and just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being too. But keep going, mate. I just wanted to give him a little plug. <laughs> I mean, he lifted the, you know, the attitude of the guys to grinding and their approach to cardiovascular fitness. Yeah. You know, he lifted the bar. He raised the bar. Yeah. And he was the benchmark. And he just was phenomenal in terms of how he approached that. So, you know, I have the utmost respect for, for Kai and what he did for the team. Um, that's a, that's unfortunately, awesome. we didn't we didn't win. Uh, and that was probably more due to the equipment. Equipment. <laughs> Certainly wasn't the athletes. I think no. those guys were in the best shape. Yeah. Um, of pretty much any athlete I've ever seen. Like yeah. in terms of strength, power, cardiovascular fitness, they were the full uh, the full package and, you know, incredible. So, Did you ever get to go out on the boat yourself? I know it was always yeah, hard. Yeah, I went that, out on the boat and hung onto the net at, for dear life wow. at 50 knots and uh, I literally thought I was going to die. Wow. Um, what an experience though. I'm kind of envious of you for that. I think that yeah. would be a hell of an experience. Very cool. So, yeah, no, that, that sort of, you know, that was my first role was um, full-on team nutritionist. Uh, that was my – I ended up – because you couldn't call yourself head of sports medicine in Bermuda due to – legal reasons and whatnot. So I was then head physio and team nutritionist, which actually turned out to be a blessing for me because it really highlighted the team nutritionist role, mm-hmm. which then led to me getting offered after the, the cup, got in, getting offered a role with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in uh, the NHL Wow! and working there, which was, again, you know, you talk about perceptions. I, I thought uh, that going and working with these ice hockey guys, I thought they were all going to be absolute monsters, super tough guys, all this, and God, they're just not. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and I'll probably get shot by one of them for saying that. But, like, they just weren't. Like, compared to rugby players, I, I just think, no way. Like, yeah. rugby is such a harder sport than ice hockey. And maybe ice hockey has changed. I probably should say that ice hockey has changed a lot in the last five years hmm. um, in terms of a focus on speed and skill versus just destroying each other with fights and big hits. That's uh, <laughs> what the crowds want. The <laughs> well, crowds trust want. me, I was so disappointed that there was, I think we had one fight the entire season and uh, it was one-on-one just on the ice. And uh, Hainsey, who was an old school sort of uh, ice hockey player of the team, one of the stalwarts, he, he actually was in the fight and won it. But that was the only fight I got to see the entire season. So, yeah. Wow. But, I mean, you talk about changing nutrition. I mean, those guys, you know, they're very little. There was very little application of nutritional science mm. when I first got there. And yet they're, 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 the way that they need I mean, these guys... I, I, I've become friends with a Canadian. Anyway, he, he's talking about, like, Greg, people don't understand. We're basically just sprinting for 30 to 40 seconds and then jumping off, you know, 45 seconds and jumping off, having yeah. a quick breath and going back again. And so the fueling that you need for that, you know, I'm fascinated by how, how you keep them going. Well, you talk about it. So this is like, you know, carbohydrates are going to be king because it's high-intensity short duration yeah. intervals. But then, you you know, so carbohydrates certainly, and they all subscribe to that. We certainly bumped up protein, um, you know, tried to reduce fat. Certainly days before races, trying to keep up, you know, total amounts of carbs was super important. Refueling, because you would go from one match, jump on a private jet, go to the next match the next day, very limited time. So mm. fueling occurred on the plane. Yeah, you, know, right. you talk about cool things. I remember I was told to, you know, get the, the plain f- food right because they none of the athletes were eating it. And I was like, okay, what's the budget? And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, what's, what's the budget for the food? And they were like, there is no, there's no budget, Scott. Just make sure it tastes good and they eat it. And I was like, wow. I mean, you know, some of these plain meals would cost upwards of 10 grand. Wow. Uh, you know, and I think the most, I don't know if I might say this or not, but I will. You know, I think we had a 45-minute flight from L.A., I think in that flight cost just under 10 grand to cater. And it was just like, it was crazy, but it didn't matter because as long as these athletes were fueled wow. and eating, no happy. I mean, you've got to remember these guys are getting contracts of $60 million over, you know, four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it just puts everything in Australian sport into, you know, like there's no comparison. No. These guys are paid so much money. And so it's the small things that make a big difference. And, yeah, you then talk about the difference between, say, an endurance athlete and these guys and, uh, you know, supplementation. Is it slightly different? Certainly if you look at things like beta-alanine, uh, bicarbonate soda. Creatine. Uh, yeah. Nitrates, certainly yeah. creatine. I mean, we can talk about creatine with endurance athletes. But, yeah, yeah. you know, those three particular, um, you know, nitrates, beta-alanine, bicarb soda should be mainstay for those type of athletes. But they just... They just again, you talk about professional professionals, and then you know there were a lot of professional ice hockey players who I wouldn't say were professionals. Wow. But then you had you had some of the best guys, probably like your friend who's won Stanley Cup. Yeah, Brad Richards, by who, the way. I, 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 okay, I like yeah. Brad Richards. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you have these very professional ice hockey players who, you know, they would speak to you and they would grab you and go, right, what do I need to do? Yeah, yeah. And that's why they were the best. And that's why they, 
you know, won Stanley Cups and did that sort of stuff. So. And so you left, you left hockey. Um, you were yep. there for a couple of years. You, you, you moved on. And, and is that when you went to endurance sports after hockey? Because that seems like a big leap. So well, I was actually started working with Sarah, Sarah Pampiano in 2017. Okay. So I, I did have a period in Boston in between. I was working for a, a biotech company um, there in gut health, which turned out to be very odd. And so I started working with Sarah then, and that's when Matt Dixon sort of, you know, he I was in San Francisco. He met me for a coffee with Sarah and really like grilled me. And I, I really appreciated what Matt did actually, because he, what it showed me was as a coach, he really cared for mm. his athlete. And so he was like, you know, making sure that I wasn't a cowboy and that what I was going to do for his athlete was actually going to benefit her. So I have a lot of respect for Matt and I, I continue to work with Matt and his team purple patch mm. um, to this day. But that's when it all started with Sarah. So we we completely changed her dietary approach mm-hmm. uh, to Ironman. And, you know, over the next three years, I think in 2019, she podiumed in every single race she went in. She broke the Brazilian um, Ironman record. Um, she actually ran the, I think it was the 14th fastest Ironman of all time, uh, male or female in that race. and. Wow. Unfortunately for her, Sarah just never got Kona right, um, yeah. and it, it destroyed. Oh, it was so frustrating. It's an unusual one, isn't it? I mean, now they're going to be swapping Kona every second year, and they're going to yeah, be nice. different yeah. Which, look, I'm, I'm not really arguing for or against, but I think it's um, it does allow. There are some athletes that, for whatever reason, Kona is their kryptonite, and. Um, yeah. It, it may allow us to see those athletes have an opportunity to be a world champion being outside I think, of Kona. I think so. Know? I think so. Like I think the conditions in Kona, I was in Kona this year, uh, last year, you know, the conditions are, are bloody hard. Yeah. You know, when it gets hot, it gets really hot. But the men, the men had a great day. Mm-hmm. You know, it was overcast. There was a little bit of light wind. It wasn't that hot. I mean, the conditions just lined up for – records to be broken mm. you know i guess it's luck of the draw isn't it when you're out there you know i, I think back to my generation of athletes and i you know chris mccormack and craig alexander both two good mates of mine yeah. and it took you know it took Macca seven six attempts and he got it on his seventh yeah and yet at the time i would have said he was probably the, the arguably the world's best iron man athlete but he just couldn't get kona right whereas someone like craig alexander crowey yeah. I've never raced against a better athlete in heat and humidity than Craig Alexander. It was unbelievable. It was almost like in his DNA. And so, you know, the first time he rocks up the Kona, he gets his third and then boom, wins, boom, wins. Win. It's like it was his – he didn't even do too many other Ironman. I mean, he did not, not as many as Macca is my point, but he was just naturally yeah. going to always be very good at Kona. And uh, I – you know, I always felt for someone like Chris McCormack or even Mark Allen back in the day, you know, it took them a long time, whereas the Dave Scott and, um, you know, Craig Alexander both both hit Kona very, very well. And I think so one of my arguments for yeah. moving the sport and shifting the world championships is so we can probably see other potential great Ironman athletes get a world title. So anyway, I know I'm going to get a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, Greg. Should no, be kind of. I, but I, I, uh, no, I like that. Yeah. Like, I think there's, there's such different camps. I mean, end of the day, world champs are world champs. Yeah. Like, 
you know, I know there's this, and look, I'm probably, again, I'll probably get ripped because I'm coming into the sport relatively new. But, you know, look, I, I get it. Kona's like the home of it oh, all. It's the holy grail. Of, of course. Of course. But, like, you know, times change as well. And, and there's certainly, as the sport grows, it, it gets more and more difficult for Kona to cope with that as well. And I think having it split with the male-female race, like for the four days, was tough. It was tough on the town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think I think there are arguments to for and against in terms of the way they're doing it. We, we could do a whole show just on that, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> what I yeah, want to do I'm while sure. I got you with your nutrition expertise, I want to make sure that we do keep d- touching on. You know, I'd love to get your thoughts on. You know, we've talked a little bit throughout the episode about you know fat and carbohydrates and and just when we when we think about that. Do you ever have periods in the training program, you know, whether it's a different time of year or different sort of macro cycles where you are focusing more on, you know, high fat, low, low carbs or do you do it on cycles like that? We probably the, the way in which we will cycle it to a degree would be off season versus in season. Certainly in the off season, athletes will be prescribed Again, depending on their purpose, if their purpose mm-hmm. is body composition, then there could be the argument to reduce total carbohydrate in, intake, increase yeah. the amount of fat, but obviously keep protein fairly high. But I guess this is where a lot of people get, there's a misunderstanding. Like the difference between being a good fat burner and losing fat, it, it's a different system and it's a different scenario to lose body fat you still have to be in a caloric deficit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people get confused that they think oh if i eat a lot of fat i'm going to become a really good fat burner and therefore i'm going to lose body fat not if you're in a caloric surplus (laughs) yes (laughs) sorry i'm only laughing because sometimes common sense is just yeah, go, go, yeah, go. Yeah, but like you laugh, but I, everyone's no, like, what do you mean? If I <laughs> eat a heap of fat, don't I lose a heap of fat? And you're like, no, you idiot. Like you, <laughs> it's science. Like, And the propensity to store excess fat is increased when you're on a high-fat diet. Mm-hmm. And when you're on a high-carbohydrate diet with low fat, your the propensity to store fat is actually reduced. But then it comes down to, are you in a caloric surplus? Mm-hmm. If you're in a caloric surplus with either of them, you'll probably put on fat. Well, yeah. you will put on fat. You'll gain weight. You'll gain but weight. if you're in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight. And if you're then consuming large amounts of fat and very low amounts of carbohydrates, yes, you can increase your ability to utilize fat as a fuel source. So that fat oxidation rate will go up over time and potentially over a very short period of time, like five days. Mm. Five to seven days on a very high-fat diet, low-carb diet will increase fat oxidation. Mm. We know that. Does it have an impact on performance? That's, I think, the equivocal type of you know research that we're still seeing. Like it's just not – we're not seeing it that it is like – you can maintain high amounts of fat oxidation post coming off that high fat diet as well. Even by bumping up carbohydrates, you'll see this maintenance of higher amounts of fat oxidation, but you won't necessarily see improvements in performance. Mm. But again, some of the performance metrics have maybe only gone to two hours in terms of assessment. So we don't necessarily know um, 
what it's doing to performance, but we also know that if you go on these high fat diets, it can blunt your ability to utilize carbohydrates at the higher intensities mm. and that will remain as well. So yeah, it's, it's super tricky, isn't it? I, I did a lot of that right towards the end of my career, 2015, 16. I was honestly, I was fading out as it was. And, but I would do these, <clears throat> you know, I was trying to experiment with this and, uh, you know, had the higher fat, low carb and, uh, and even the mm-hmm. fasting, you know, long rides and runs. I go for a five hour ride in the Colorado Rocky mountains and get off and run an hour and do it all on two bottles, three bottles of water and some electrolytes. And when it got to the point, I felt fantastic. Oh, wow. Like it was really, I felt good. Like I could do it my point, but then I was still trying to get ready for some Olympic distance races and still find that power and speed. And I couldn't get us out of third gear. I, I was, I was stuck in third gear and, and I, I could, I'd go to run like a three minute effort, you know, in training. It was just like, oh, it was, it really, the body was saying, no, you, 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 you've done this to us. But I guess I want a a follow up question. When I think back and again, a bit of self-experimentation with the higher carbohydrate diets, there was an impact that I did notice sort of what they, what you'd call like those insulin spikes and drops. So how do you mitigate that kind of a experience if you're having a higher carbohydrate diet? Well, are you saying in terms of like you notice like... I noticed it, yeah. If you so, were measuring, if you're measuring blood glucose, did it go up and then you yeah, sort of come down? Yeah. So but that's I normal. That's a normal physiological response. The body shoots out insulin from the pancreas that reduces blood sugar. It drives yeah. that glucose into the muscle. That's what's meant to happen. But what about... So when we're talking about racing and if you're doing that in a race... Because the experiences I had when I, I only did a couple of Ironmans, really, when I turned yeah. forty, and I was like, okay, and <laughs> and just and, a couple, <laughs> and I did very, I did very little science. I was like, ah, I can do this easy, mm. you know, piece of piece of piss. Here we go, <laughs> you know. I was very arrogant yeah. and delusional, but I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time on understanding fats. I, I had a very high protein diet, that's for sure, but for race day, I had you know all these sort of sugary drinks. I won't name brands. Um, and I felt like the whole day I was going through these moments of feeling fantastic to feeling absolutely rubbish. So when, okay, say I was coming to you to work this out, what would be the first things you'd want to work with me on? Well, I mean, you, it depends on, again, what level. I mean, if you're, if you're working one-on-one, you can go a little bit deeper and that's, I guess, the point of having human-to-human contact. I mean, you yeah, hear Olaf yeah. Boo talk about this, isn't it? The human-to-human contact and that's coaching. Yeah. And I guess that's the difference with any of these things is like, you know, fuel in all the athletes on the program get not the same program, but the same level of service in terms of that personalized program based on their training. Right. I guess the difference as you move up the tiers in terms of coaching levels, and obviously with that comes a little bit more cost is what we would be doing now. So talking to you about things like, oh, look, I feel like I, I get this real drop in energy. And then it's like, okay, well, let's look at what you're actually doing during the racing period or what you're doing more importantly, probably in your training. And you're like, oh yeah, I have one gel every hour. Mm. And it's like, so you're having 30 grams of carbs an hour and you're like, yeah. And I I feel really good when I have it. And then I get this real drop in energy and it's like, Greg, you could be having 120 grams of carbs an hour. And so if you can sustain, you know, if you can keep blood glucose potentially at a steadier rate, and then will be certainly higher than what would normally be prescribed to say a lay person just, you know, walking around. But if you can take in larger amounts of exogenous carbohydrates in combination with potentially loading up 
you know, day or day before, plus total calories throughout that every hour, you're probably not going to get those drops in energy and you're mm. going to feel a hell of a lot better. Mm. Mm. So maybe what you were doing was just under-fueling for the work you were doing each hour. Yeah. And that, that generally is what we see with the athletes, especially these high-performing athletes, whether they're a pro or an age grouper, is they'll come to us and they'll say, oh, yeah, no, I take in heaps of carbs. And then we'll do what we call a carb capacity test, which is, you know, it sounds fancy. It's just a label I gave it. But it's, you know, recording what you're eating and drinking during training. And then you obviously divide it by just the total amount of hours and then provide yourself with what, how many grams of carbohydrates per hour are you consuming. And then you suddenly look at it and go, well, you're only consuming 30 or 40 grams an hour. Mm, like mm. you're nowhere near your capacity in terms of what you could consume and what that could look like in terms of performance outcome. I mean, I look back personally and I'm, you could have a coach, but I actually think having a nutrition coach, especially in the endurance sport, honestly, I think is almost more important than a coach in itself. Um, <clears throat> mainly because I think there's a million different ways to skin a cat. It's funny. It's funny you say that though. Like another pro I'm working with, Caitlin Alexander, who is, is, if anyone wants to have a look at a very cool Instagram account, she's, she's very creative. She's actually a physiotherapist as well in Boulder, but she actually said that the other day. She goes, I don't know if this is weird, but I speak to you way more than my coach. <laughs> I don't know. I've had that many coaches on the, on the show. And obviously I coached myself for many years and I had many of my own experiences with coaches. And honestly, it's just like do as much work as you can, peer over the edge, try not to <laughs> overdo it every now and then. Every now and then you're going to overtrain, step back. And if you're not overtraining, sometimes you probably don't want it enough. There I said it. Every, I'm going to get abuse for that too. Hey, you, will, you will get abuse but, for that. But there's, <laughs> the, 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 there's, no, there's nobody that's hit, hitting greatness in this world without peering over the edge and stepping over sometimes, right? I mean, it's, and, uh, but I almost think what you need to be able to, to sustain it because everybody, you know, I ask people, you know, what's the one thing that, you know, you could give advice to listeners and they're like consistency. And so Mm. that's the number one word, consistency. I'm like, okay, well, yes, you can have a program that, you know, is potentially going to make you consistent, but the fueling, the ability to keep turning up day in, day out has to be, it's like driving a car. It's like saying, well, I got the best engine, the best chassis, beautiful car. I'm going to drive it every single day. Well, you're not going to drive it every single day if there's no fuel in the tank, are you? Correct. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't have said it better, mate. But do you know what's really funny though? Is like people then get the program and they think it's going to be some crazy diet like that, like is, you know, they've got to do this, they've got to do this. It's like, do the bloody basics. Mm. Like, are you eating enough protein to support yeah, your body yeah. in terms of recovery? No, you're not. Like, mm. you know, the, and again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's just women, but women athletes will under consume protein like 90% of the time. Interesting. They'll come in and they're consuming something like 80 grams of protein, maybe. Yeah. Some of the older women who probably need even more. Well, don't they break lose about three percent a year in terms of the ability? Uh, what did I see the other day? I was, sorry, I'm going to bastardize. I'll let you keep talking. But basically, women in terms of their muscle mass are losing about three percent a year over. I don't know what the age was. Might have been over fifty. It, it's not women. It's yeah. men as well. Men like as well, so, yeah. from the age of twenty-eight, we're in this downward spiral. 
Jeez. So the process of sarcopenia. sarcopenia I'm screwed at 51, pretty, mate. I'm screwed. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, like I got sent, so the CEO of a company called ChargePoint, Pat Romano, mm. he sent me a photo yesterday 10 years ago and he's this fat, chubby, like triathlete, sends me a photo of him racing down in Puerto Rico. The guy is absolutely shredded, like just absolute beast now. He's running his Ironman and 70.3 times have improved yeah. from 10 years ago. Good and he's you. just like, I you know, that. I'm just a different human being. And it's because I, I look, we got his carbohydrate intake correct. Okay, we managed his fat, whatever. I think for endurance athletes, honestly, everyone goes on about high carb, you know, carbs and fats. Get your protein right. I agree. I like love protein that. Protein is so important for athletes and endurance athletes. And I think it's really cool because they are coming around now. But athletes, certainly, you know, of all our athletes, they're like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Um, I feel so satiated, but my recovery is better. It's not going to make you necessarily uh, look in terms of like the difference between fat and carbohydrates in terms of actual performance outcomes that could be measured, say, through, you know, time trial, time to exhaustion, stuff like that, very different. But in terms of protein and its role in endurance athletes, it's the recovery. Mm-hmm. And that, like, from a, a muscle perspective, from a bone perspective, from a cartilage, from a ligament, like, you know, immune system, hormone regulation, enzymatic, like, that's where protein makes the difference. And, again, like, you look at all the research into total amounts of protein and a lot of the research, like, Kevin Tipton, um, who else uh, uh, who, who else would I touch on with? Van Loon, all these guys that are talking about muscle protein synthesis, their focus is purely on muscle protein synthesis and muscular hypertrophy in resistance-trained athletes. And so, yes, that amount might be around 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight, but with an endurance athlete, you've got to think beyond that sort of myocentric perspective and be thinking – well, hold on, this athlete's doing things that like normal people don't do and the load on the body is extreme. So it's net protein balance, which probably becomes even more important. And so you've got to, I 100% prescribe way above 1.6 grams, like Mm. probably at a starting point, we're probably looking at two grams per kilo body weight. And for some athletes, they might be up 2.5, 2.6, even up around three grams per kilo body weight, depending on total training load. But it has a positive impact. Just for reference, what, what's a breast of chicken? Uh, so 100 grams of chicken will give you around 20 grams of protein. Okay. So people can just, so they can get their head around what the numbers you're talking, it's always good to just have an idea. So it's, I mean, think about it this way. Whatever you weigh in pounds yeah. is generally a good target to start for grams of protein. So if you weigh 120 pounds aim for around 120 grams of protein. Now, the caveat to that is obviously there are lighter female athletes, especially in endurance sports. Mm. I usually say to them, at a minimum, 120 grams. Mm. So even a 100-pound athlete, I might get them to eat more than that. So maybe it's now up into 2.5 sort of grams per kilo body weight as opposed to 2.2. It's interesting you bring up all this on protein because – my wife, Laura, you know, multiple Olympian, mm-hmm. world number one and, and had a family yeah. career. She always was the one responsible for our nutrition in the house. Yeah. You know, that was – and, that, and she, that's her passion. And we had such a high protein 
diet. And, you know, this was 20 years ago now um, where we, where we really, really leaned in and really focused on it and it was. And I don't know what happened. I felt like the conversation always was about protein, you know, in that early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And then all of a sudden I feel like this last five to 10 years it's all been about, you know, high fat, low carb. That's the new... Yeah. But I feel like protein to some degree has always been there. Like it's never got a bad name. It's just, you know. But it was always that third macronutrient, yes, wasn't it? It was yes, like yeah, yeah. it just sort of sat on the side and I'm like, God, it's a bloody important third <laughs> macronutrient. And it's like, you know, guys, like, but it, and it, it's so frustrating because it's like, oh, the focus might be on protein one day and then the focus is yeah. on carbs the next and then the focus is on fat. And like, recognize the interaction between all three all of them we need them all and yeah yeah you yeah. need them all and yeah, yeah you know i don't want endurance athletes to go out there based on this and go oh i just need to eat protein i'm going to be amazing no, because no, no. if you get your energy balance wrong <laughs> yeah. and you're not eating appropriate amounts of carbs and fat yeah. you're going to feel terrible yeah as well mate that's so. well said and, and I think that's a good place to stop this part of the episode. I'm going to continue for a little bit, if it's okay with you, and, and yeah. just hit some um, hit you with some conversation, some questions that I love to sort of finish with. Um, and so the first one, what would you tell your your 18 year old self? Uh, what would I tell myself? Um, I often hear like people when if they're asked this question that they would always say, "Oh, you know, relax, everything's going to be okay, and don't don't stress too much," but I'd probably say the opposite of that and I'd be like, you know, keep stressed, <laughs> keep, work, keep working hard because everything you did as a result of being putting yourself under pressure has resulted in where you are today. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and I think it's such bullshit. Sorry, I probably shouldn't swear. No, but when people fine. go, oh, no, just, you know, don't worry. You don't have to do anything. Don't work hard. Everything will just no. fall into place. I'm like, nah. No, you got to keep I, moving. you got to keep gotta moving. you got to keep moving. you got to work on it and you got to push yourself. As you said, if you don't look over the edge, you're probably nowhere near it. No. And uh, so I, I think that's probably what I'd say to myself. N- next one. Three people you would want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead? If I could have two groups of three, that would probably be the ideal. So I'd probably have a rock sort of dinner lunch. So that would be Eddie Vedder, Dave Grohl, and Lars Ulrich. Eddie Vedder being <laughs> Eddie Vedder being the lead singer yeah, of Pearl Jam. Yeah. Uh, Dave Grohl being former drummer of Nirvana yeah. and obviously lead singer of Foo Fighters, and Lars Ulrich being the drummer from Metallica. And um, you can obviously get a sense of my your, your music taste, mate. Of, uh, I think you and I could 90s. do many bike workouts together in the garage, mate. I think, that, yeah, nineties, yeah. nineties <laughs> sort of rock. So, uh, yeah, that would be that. But then I think if I was going to have a, a dinner where I'd maybe invite uh, my mum or uh, dad or other guests of that, or maybe my partner Mel, uh, I would say Eddie Vedder. Still, my son's middle name is Eddie, uh, which gives <laughs> you awesome. an indication of yeah. how much I love Pearl Jam. Uh, Tim Ver- Tim Ferris, just because yeah. I think he's a very uh, good conversationalist, mm-hmm. and I think he would keep the conversation going. And super interesting guy. And then I think David Attenborough. Uh, oh, he's nice. just David Attenborough is just one of those gentlemen who I just I can just remember growing up as a kid and just His watching voice. being glued yeah. to the screen for all those wonderful documentaries on wildlife and 
it's sort of, I saw the other day they're doing Frozen 2, I think, Frozen Planet 2, and I was like, oh, God, why don't we watch this stuff more? Because as a child, I watched it all the time. That's all we had, time, mate. We only was, had the four channels in Australia. Well, we only had that, didn't we? But it was so educational <laughs> yeah, and we yeah. watched and we yeah. learned things as opposed to the rubbish that's on TV now. And I love that dinner, mate. That's a great dinner. And uh, yeah, I'd love right. to meet Tim Ferriss, actually. I know... Um, Ed, my business partner's mates with him. I, I have to. Uh, I reached out to him when I was in Austin for the Endurance Exchange Conference uh, just yeah. recently, hoping that he'd bite because yeah. I'd love to meet him. So, yeah, if Ed wants to put me in contact. And, well, there uh, we go, mate. It's like I said. <laughs> it it's, would be amazing. We're I, all I one, we're all one I think degree, we'd have buddy. a very good chat about life and everything. That's done. cool. That's a good group, mate. I really like that. Mm. So where do you see yourself in the next you know, five years from now? Uh, I honestly still see myself as a co-founder for Fuel In. Um, And I I see the business like just growing. And I think the big view for it is to extend that ability to provide training, that training-based nutrition, not just to endurance athletes. We picked Mm. a very bespoke niche group of athletes, which ultimately is three sports in one. so we figure if we can cope with that and do the nutritional strategy and, tra- and prescription for that difficult sport, then we can branch out. We're already starting to branch out into marathon, gravel racing, cycling. But, you know, ultimately team sports, rugby, rugby union, uh, rugby league, rugby union, NFL, baseball, all of them. That's mm. sort of what where I see it going and just being able to help as you say, you know, nutrition is is just so important for people to understand and get their head around. I think if we can help more and more people do that, and you know, I think you look at the world's obesity crisis, and it's you know, if we could do something to to improve the state of, uh, of the health of the world, then I think it would be amazing. Oh, man! Yes. And. Maybe somewhere in there, maybe go back to uni again. I'm a bit of a sucker for punishment. So uh, <laughs> maybe I think I have a pipe dream of a PhD somewhere in there. So maybe nice. if fuel is going well and I can step away a little bit and just do, do some, some study. study. And yeah, what would involve, you do your PhD in? You know, you have any idea what you want to do? Um, it would certainly be something around what, what yeah. we do at Fuel In. So, you know, yeah. can you, the difference, I, I, I am very interested in this whole carbohydrate versus fat sort of, you yeah. know, battle, if you want to yeah, describe yeah. it as yeah. that. And I think, you know, I, I I listen to, you know, the experts and their point of view from a, a fat metabolism versus a carbohydrate metabolism, and I we're not quite there yet. No. And anyone who says we are there is full of shit. Yeah, they're, they're reaching <laughs> um, to jumping you know, to it, conclusions, it's an, yeah. It's an evolving science, and I think we've all got to be prepared to sit back and say you know what this is what we know at the moment this appears to work but there is potential for things to change and i think that will come with time i love that you've got that open mind set you know i find nutrition at the moment a bit of that everyone's pointing fingers at each other and Ah. you can't be trusted and that's misinformation it's like no 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 we just don't have all the information yet it's okay. (laughs) we don't have to agree because we don't actually have all the information yet let's just continue to pursue the study and let's keep learning together, right? I mean, look at look at someone like Dan, who you've had on. Like, <clears throat> you know, he he coached Chelsea. She won Kona. Mm. You know, like something he's doing is is working. And then you've got Olaf with you know Gustav and Christian. Yeah, and they've got a very different philosophy. Yeah, but it still works. So then there's the individual athlete, which you cannot 
go past. Mm. And you know, Holly's a good example of that. Like, you know, she's she's you know she's talked about issues with you know nutrition in the past and what worked and her fears and things like that. But when you finally get past that and you break that down, and what she's now doing in training and hopefully racing this weekend, like, yeah, she she takes in huge amounts of carbohydrates. Yeah, um, and so it's. You know, the individual athlete as well, I don't think you can go past that, that it, it, there is always that individual component to mm. it and what works for one doesn't always work for the other. Well said, mate. That's exactly it. All right, let's finish up with some rapid-fire questions. You ready? Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's 7.30 in the morning there now, mate. You ready yeah, to go? No, it's late. Coffee's it's kicking late. in. <laughs> let's go. Okay, one book you'd recommend? Atomic Habits. I love it. Um. Two most used apps on your phone. Fuel in and WhatsApp. Nice. Toughest race you've ever done. Ooh, I did a, uh, a half marathon through the mountains in uh, upstate New York, which didn't didn't sound hard at the time, and I certainly didn't do enough training, and it nearly killed me. But I did beat my mate because he was doing high fat, low carb, and I was <laughs> I was eating heaps of carbs, and I smashed heaps of gels on it and smashed him. So, I, yeah, that was great. That's awesome. All right, first job. First job. Oh, probably washing cars for my dad. I love it. Out of ten, how cool are you? Oh, not cool at all. Most of my mates really? would say not cool at all. No. Really? Without- I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll give myself a seven. I don't know, mate. You've had a pretty cool life. <laughs> um, okay, who would who would you want to play a movie of your life? Oh, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Nice. Which decade of music is best? You've already kind of answered this one. 90s. <laughs> um, where's someone, somewhere in the world you haven't been you'd like to go? Uh, sort of that West Africa region so mm. guinea sierra leone um you know nigeria all around there wow i've done all the other parts of or not all the other parts of africa but i've been all around there we haven't even touched on that uh, i took a whole year off traveling just before uh, covid and saw many many different parts of the world which most people don't go to so oh yeah, yeah love traveling you got love the tra- traveling. you got the so, timing anyway. of that right yeah exactly yeah. all right last one greatest movie of all time Oh, greatest movie. Oh, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, so um, probably the originals. Uh, what so was good. that? Four, four, five, six, I'd yeah. probably say. But I do love, and this is really weird, but I do love the film Rudy. Oh, it brings you to tears every time. <laughs> I tried to get, so my, my partner, Mel, she's a bit younger than me. I tried to get, I always try and get her to watch like old movies. Yeah. She's like watching Rudy and she's like, this is terrible. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's terrible. I, but, yeah, I, I do love that film. I, I make Laura watch all those things. <laughs> so my favourite movie of all this time is, is um, Chariots of Fire, you know. And, and, oh, yeah, great and that film. Was, that was kind of my inspiration through the 80s, you know, and running. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to Bill Gerber, who's on the Any Question app and a good friend of mine, Hollywood movie producer, and I told him that. He's like, oh, look, good movie, but it hasn't aged well. I'm like, what? <laughs> I've got this, you know, and he actually votes at the Academy Awards and everything. I mean, the guy's like, he's, he's legit. I was like, oh. So As an age I, stopped, I stopped talking to him. <laughs> at yeah. least he didn't say that about you. So that's <laughs> <fine>. so, <yeah. laughs> oh, mate. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Scott. Thanks so much for coming on the time and just 
this this is just a really fun chat and i'll be down in sydney in about um 12 weeks 10 12 weeks staying in moscow so we might have to catch up for a coffee or something definitely i'd love that beer or whatever but mate i really appreciate you excellent thank you so much greg for having me fantastic and everybody listening you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks a lot for listening if you enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice don't miss the next episode so subscribe and be notified for show notes if you want to know more please visit bennettendurance.com i'm phil liggett and on behalf of greg bennett here's to the next time and i hope you will join greg again very soon